Well, what is up, Emmanuel? How are you today? You doing all right? If you're joining us uh, online at, uh, or through our podcast, uh, we want to welcome you. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Unsearchable. Unsearchable. Have you ever thought deeply about space, outer space, the universe? I know there are a lot of movies about outer space, Star Wars, to name a few, one in particular. Have you ever thought deeply about it or kind of maybe you've taken a class on astronomy or something like that? Anybody out there thought deeply about space, outer space? It's, it's pretty sick when you really think deeply about it and you do a little bit of research. It's, it's, it's hard on your brain to understand outer space and how vast it is and how big it is. And I, I wrote in your notes there that space is literally unsearchable, meaning it's beyond finding out. It's beyond fully understanding it. It's boundless. It's limitless. It's incomprehensible. The, words, uh, the word is incalculable. It's so big. It's so vast. I'll just give you one quick example. Years ago, the Hubble telescope took a photo. The photo was the size of a piece of sand on the tip of your thumb pointed up into the sky. That's the size of the photo, the size, that size of that piece of sand. And when Hubble got the image back, what they saw in that little piece of sand the size of, of the sky that pointed into the blackness of space, they saw 10,000 galaxies in that one little spot in the sky. Kind of looked like this. That's what they saw. It's an enhanced version. 10,000 galaxies. And that's how the astronomers came to understand that in our known universe, there are 100 billion galaxies, each galaxy holding within it, on average, 100 billion stars. That's 10,000 million, million, million stars. It's just ridiculous. It's, un, it's just unfathomable how big space is. To kind of get, maybe, maybe, maybe that didn't do it for you. I'll give you another example of just how big space is. The closest star to us is 4.3 light years away. A light year is about 6 trillion miles, little puddle jump in space. Just one little light year, one little guy. So you times 6 trillion times 4.3, you're somewhere around 24 trillion miles. That's the closest star, 4.2 light years away. Now there are stars out there that are hundreds of thousands of light years away. So times that, you know, the closest galaxy is 25,000 light years away. That's just the closest galaxy to our Milky Way galaxy. Now, if that doesn't do it, let me give you a little, maybe another little illustration. If the Earth was a volleyball, seven inches in diameter, if the Earth was a volleyball, see if I get this right, then Jupiter would be Shaquille O'Neal in diameter, okay? So seven feet tall by seven feet wide, that's Jupiter, if, if Earth was the volleyball. The sun, so if the Earth is a volleyball, Shaq is, a, is Jupiter, the sun would be a seven-story building in diameter, okay? That's the sun. There's a star out there that they just, count called, they just found it. It's called, you could Google this, UY Scylla or Scolia or something like that. I don't even know how they come up with these names for these stars. That star is four times the size of Mount Everest in our scale. The sun would be about a seven-story building, and that star is just enormous, 100, 125,000 feet in diameter, according to our scale. It's just unbelievable. You know how many Earth 
You know how many little earths can fit inside of our sun? 1.3 million earths can fit inside of our sun. I mean, I could go on with some of this stuff. It's kind of fun. I don't know if it's fascinating to me. You're probably bored. Move on. Okay, we get the point. <laughs> Space is unsearchable. It really is. And that's why this, one of the psalmists said in Psalm chapter 8, listen to this. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the what? The stars, which you've set in place, see, people of faith, we don't believe in the Big Bang. Well, if we do, it's God said bang and it came into being. But we don't believe it in terms of the evolutionary explosion. No, we believe God set the stars in the sky. And because of that, we say, in light of how huge this is, now that was without telescopes back then. They're just looking up at the naked eye. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would even care for him? It's like, God, we are like a speck of dust. The earth is a speck of dust in the universe And man on top of that speck of dust is a speck of dust on top of a speck of dust. We are just so tiny. How is it that you could care about individual people? But he does. In fact, Jesus said, I know how many hairs on top of your head. Now, for some of you, that's very simple. You have none. But (laughs) there's others others of us that have some hair left. Um, He just has this intimate knowledge. How is that possible? What, like, what's the message of the vastness of space? It's not that we are insignificant and small, but however true that might be, it's about the greatness of God. See, if space, here's what I really think space is. I think it's a metaphor. I think it's a message to us that, that, that says this. If the creation is unsearchable, then what does that say about the creator? You see, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul was writing. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace, this privilege, this honor was given to me to proclaim or to preach to the Gentiles, the, say it with me, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ is unsearchable because Christ created the heavens and the earth. Did you know that God the Father delegated that power to Jesus and that Jesus was the one that created the universe? It says it right there in Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this. It says, for by him, that is Jesus, the Son, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. The universe was created by Jesus and for Jesus. It's like a present to himself. (laughs) He just loves to look at it and probably go through it. If If the creation is unsearchable, what does that say about the creator? Jesus is unsearchable. Now, Paul is saying, to me, this grace was given to preach or to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, if the word means unknowable or past knowing or incalculable or boundless or limitless, if if it means that we cannot fully know Christ, how can we preach anything about him? Well, just because we don't know everything there is to know about space doesn't mean we, we don't know anything, right? We know some things about space. We just talked a little bit about what we know. There's a lot more to it. It's the same thing about Jesus. Just because we don't know everything about God, God is past, uh, he's past being able to, to know fully, but just because we can't know him fully doesn't mean we can't know him in part. And when Jesus came, in fact, that's what he did. He came to reveal who the Father was. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the exact rep- representation of God the Father according to Hebrews chapter 1. And so when we look at Christ and we look at his words and we look at what we did, we could see a picture of the unsearchable riches of God. And so what I'm going to try to do in this series is really just present to you what some of those riches are in hopes that, in hopes that you will fall in love with him and you will come to understand Jesus in a new way so that you will want to walk with him through this life 
and live the life that he's called you to live. That's my hope and my prayer as we go through this series. So what are some of those unsearchable riches of Christ? What does that really mean? Well, in your notes there, Jesus brought with him knowledge of reality. He brought knowledge of reality. Human beings want to know what's going on in the world, don't we? We want to know what's real, and then we bank on it. Is it, what, 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 is, what is going on in the world? Is it, is it important to have money and power? Is it important to be beautiful on the outside and have nice skin or a nice shaped body or a good complexion? Is it important to have, to live in a beautiful home and have a nice car? Like, is it important to know the right people? Like, what is important? What's real in this world? What works in this world? High school students are figuring this out. Middle school students are figuring this out. You know, how do you be cool? Because it, it's apparently, apparently being cool is real. And you get respect, and people know who you are, and they know your name, and ah, you're texting everybody. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to do high school over again, aren't you? Because when we did it, we didn't have cell phones and text messaging and Twitter and all that stuff. Anyway, um, what's real? And then once we, once we think we know what is real, we bank on it. We put our hope in it. We, we, we trust in it. We chase it. Human beings want to know what is real, don't we? Yes or no? Jesus came, he said these simple words, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, the real has come, and it's at hand, meaning you can reach out and grab it if you want. It's right there, you can take hold of it. Jesus says, you want to know what's real? My kingdom is real. My kingdom is an unseen reality that has invaded what you all think, what I think, what the world thinks is actually real. There's another reality out there. It's called the spiritual realm, the unseen reality of the kingdom of God. I love the Apostle Paul when he wrote it, when he wrote about this. He said, so we fix our eyes not on what is, say it with me, not on what is seen, like what we all tend to value when we turn the TV on and we go through life and we look at stuff, but rather on what is, say it with me, unseen. What's he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God. The unseen reality of the kingdom. Since what is seen is temporary, it doesn't last. See, my body and your body, if, if, we, if we just bank on it being ultimate reality, which it's not because it doesn't last, we're going to ruin our lives. If I bank on my body looking good and looking nice and staying trim and all that stuff to get a sense of worth and value and a sense of identity, I'm in trouble. Why? Why? Because one day this body is going to be gone. It's going to die. It's dying now. I wake up every day and I feel like I'm dying. Anybody else? <laughs> my back hurts, my knee hurts, my neck hurts, everything's like going down, to, down the tubes, right? Why would I bank on this, this thing? It's going to die. One day it's going to be in the ground. One day it's going to be in a wall somewhere or it might even be in an urn. Anybody put their Uncle Jimmy in an urn on the, on the that's a little weird. I, I don't want to be on the, on the mantle. But anyway, it's going, you're, 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 you will not last. Why would you bank on something that's temporary when, when, when the unseen is the thing that will last, where, how long? Forever, eternal. You want to know what's real? It's the unseen things that are real. Your soul will go on and live forever. That's what's real. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't even grab your soul. If you cut me open, you couldn't find it. Because it's immaterial, but it's real. It's realer, is that a word? It's realer than your physical body. That's powerful. That's the kingdom. God is a spirit. You can't see him, but he is real. 
But when we bank our lives on what is seen, we run the risk of destroying ourselves. We chase after the wrong things. We value the wrong things in this world. We put our hope in things that the world is saying is important that will not last, like money or pleasure or sex or being known or, or fame or whatever. It's not real. That, all, that stuff all fades, fades away. Paul says, fix your eyes on what is unseen, the kingdom of God. Let's talk about some of the aspects of the kingdom of God, the the treasures and the riches of Christ. Number one, the unseen kingdom brings or makes available or gives you access to power, power from another realm, a spiritual realm. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus was on the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes up, and the waves are coming on, and the boat starts to wobble, and the disciples get all freaked out, and they say, Jesus, wake up. He was taking a nap. And you're like, you, you know, don't you love us? Don't you care about us? And, and he wakes up and he says, oh, come on, guys, where's your faith? And then he starts to talk to the storm because that's normal. <laughs> right? He just, he just says to the winds, and he says, shut up, be still. And the, and the waves stop, the storm stops. And then his disciples, they're like, watch verse 27. What's this? Then the men, they were amazed. <laughs> of course they were. What kind of guy is this? Even the winds and the waves Listen to him. Obey him. Like, what are we dealing with when we're dealing with Jesus? Like, what did he bring? You know what he brought? He brought supernatural power into our world. Unseen divine power. You say, oh, that's nice, but that doesn't really happen today. Oh, really? Oh, really? A friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, Nathan and Angie Johnson, um, had a baby recently. And... um, they, Angie one day went in for a normal checkup this summer and around week 26, and the doctor, Dr. Perkins, actually some of you know him, uh, said, hey, you're not going home. You have something called preeclampsia. It affects about 3 to 5% of women and is, it accounts for about 50% of the, uh, uh, of the deaths of women who go into the hospital. It's pretty serious stuff. And uh, so Nathan came and, and everything, and, and uh, basically uh, they were going to try to keep her there for another four weeks to at least get four more weeks of that baby being inside. Well, at 27 weeks, they had to do an emergency C-section. They're here today. Actually, I would like them to come up here uh, because as soon as that happened, they started sending out emails and text messages, pray for Enzo, pray for Angie, ask God to keep them safe. So we did. Some of you did. I know I did. My wife and I prayed for them, and this is little Enzo here today. He was born at 27 weeks, now, a baby who's born at 27 weeks has about a 40% chance of survival. Is that right? And uh, so I want to read you something that Nathan uh, wrote to me this week. And I think this captures what I'm trying to say. Nathan said, um, the long and short of it is this. I went from thinking about being a dad to praying like a dad. I went from wanting a stud athlete for a son, which I totally relate to, to begging God that my son would come home with working lungs, working arms, and working legs. I remember waking up every morning, coming downstairs, and wailing the song, No Longer Slaves. I remember being a weeping blob on my kitchen floor, crying out, Your will be done. I remember getting the call that it was time for me to come to the hospital. I remember robing up for an emergency C-section that wasn't supposed to happen for another four weeks. And I remember the first time that I ever begged for my son's life. Angie and I had been placed into a large white room with bright surgery lights. There was a massive staff of 15 or 16 doctors and nurses around. The delivery seemed to be going okay, though I had no clue what was really going on. And then I saw him. He was gray. His arms and legs were completely limp. 
No movement whatsoever. He didn't make a sound. There was no congratulations, you're a dad, from the doctors. There was only a gray, still baby rushed over to a team of nurses across the room from me. I watched the nurses as they took, as they took turns giving him breaths through a clear plastic pump-like device. We have a photo of that moment. Nathan was actually able to, to snap this photo. You know, last week we said that if your job, if you do your job well and it blesses people, that's God. These are the hands of God saving Enzo's life. Nathan goes on and says, that's when I began to beg for God, beg God for Enzo's life. I think God answers. What do you think? From then on, it was a long string of prayers for his health and well-being. There were new issues every day in the NICU. It was a delicate time. He was a tough, tough fighter trapped in a fragile little shell. God made him a fighter, and I am so thankful for that. He received prayers from so many people. I hear new stories every day about people who have prayed for him, coworkers, customers, people at church, and of course, family and friends. Exodo Church went as far as fasting for him. That's the church we partner with in, uh, in Colombia. Can you believe that? An entire church of Colombians, thousands of miles away, fasting for little Enzo? <laughs> Enzo is covered in prayer. Listen to this. This is my favorite part. Angie and I have zero doubts that God orchestrated this whole thing. He wanted the prayers because he wanted to answer the prayers. He wanted to show us a miracle, and that he did. Can we give God a hand for what he's done? He was born 1.9 pounds, a little, little bit less than two, and Angie said that that's about two cans of soup, the weight of two cans of soup or a bottle of salad dressing. Pretty crazy. And so I love you guys. Thank you so much for, for coming up here and sharing him. That's the power of God. Amen. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, well, man, I, I prayed for somebody and it didn't work. And I understand that. The power that it's available through Jesus cannot be taken hold of and manipulated, okay? It doesn't work that way. There are times where God just simply says no. And then there are times where God says, yeah, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do something absolutely miraculous. That's the kingdom of God. Come among us. That's available to you. That's available to me. Let's talk about the second one. The unseen kingdom brings us or makes something else available called peace. Peace. What is peace? I keep this definition in my head. Um, I'll get it out. Maybe you can write it down. Peace is this condition and feeling, both a condition and a feeling of rest and calmness that's rooted in the greatness of God. Peace is both a condition and a feeling of rest and calmness that is rooted in the greatness of God. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said this, he said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace that I give you is a gift the world cannot give. What is he saying? It is from another realm. This world has ways of finding some sort of peace. Vacation, <laughs> right? Or, 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 you know, money can, can, can create a, a form of peace, right? Dave Ramsey talks about that. In fact, his course is called Financial Peace because you have an emergency fund and you're saving all that stuff. There's a level of peace that can be found in this world. But then there's otherworldly peace that Jesus gives us, and it is rest and calmness that is rooted in 
the greatness of God. You know, we've been singing a song called Good, Good Father recently at this church, and, and I'm sure you've heard it on the radio. It goes like this. Good, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> good, good Father, it's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. And then there's a bridge that says you're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. And I know that some of you have gone through difficulty recently. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or it's a cancer situation, or financial, or marital. It's hard to sing that. You're perfect in all of your ways. Well, what about when his ways are, it's the path through the valley of the shadow of death? Like, what happens then? And I'm telling you, the peace that comes from God, from the, from the kingdom of God, from the spiritual realm, provides rest of soul even in the valley of the shadow of death. It has, it has nothing to do with your circumstances going well. It has everything to do with the character of God. Is he a good king? Is this really a kingdom? Is, did Jesus really say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? He did. Is his heart really good towards me? It is. Therefore, I can trust him fully. Listen to the words that Jesus gave us one time that really don't make sense outside of the language of the kingdom or understanding the kingdom in Matthew chapter 6. These will show up on the screen here. You can follow along. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry about things, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you're, about your body, what you'll put on. You can put in there whatever you're worried about today. Just kind of insert it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they spin. Yet I tell you, I'm sorry, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't know God, seek after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So here's what I want you to do. Verse 33, the famous verse some of you have memorized. But seek first the kingdom of what? Of God. And his right ways, his righteousness, his right paths of living. Seek out his ways of living. And then in the end, everything will be okay. He'll take care of everything else. All of these things will be added unto you. What? Like what? Like food and clothing and money and all these other things that he knows that you need. You see, a lot of us have learned this verse in the context of making sure God is the priority in our life, especially if you grew up in Sunday school years ago. And it can be used that way for sure. But the context is, let me teach you how not to be anxious about your life. You have a king, and he is good, and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and you can live in the kingdom without fear because he's going to take care of you. Wow, that's peace right there. That's from another realm. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this world. That's the kingdom life. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't. Let's, let's go to the third one. The unseen kingdom provides or brings joy. Joy to your life. What is joy? It's a pervasive sense of well-being. Again, that is rooted in the goodness of God. That's what joy is. It could, you could call it happiness. I think, it's, I think it's bigger and deeper and wider than happiness. But 
It's rooted in the goodness of God. See, you were made for joy. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 11. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you so that your joy may be, what? Half full? What do you think? Half empty? No, full. You were created to have your soul filled with joy. You ever notice how your stomach talks to you? Right about now, in fact. <laughs> and it wants something. What does it want? A sandwich, you know, a good turkey sandwich or something like that. I don't know what you're going to have for lunch. You ever notice how you get thirsty and there's water and there, you get hungry and there's food or you have sexual desires and there's marriage? Notice I said marriage. It's God's path, his ways, righteousness, right? It's amazing. We find inside of ourselves this thirst for something like happiness, and yet there's nothing in this world that can fill it. C.S. Lewis said it this way, one of the greatest things he's ever written, I think, in mere Christianity. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, look far, look wide, look high, look low, there's nothing. The only logical explanation is I was made for the kingdom of God. I was made and created to live in the kingdom of God, another world. And that's what Jesus brings. He brings knowledge of reality. He brings satisfaction to the soul. There's nothing on this earth that you can satisfy your soul with other than Christ. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Let me go to the fourth one. The unseen kingdom brings love. It brings love. Perhaps the greatest thing I can tell you today is that Jesus Christ adores you. Perhaps the greatest treasure of the kingdom is that Jesus Christ loves you. That's probably the greatest thing I could ever tell you as your pastor, that he sees everything you've ever done, every mistake you've ever made, every sin you've ever committed, every, every way you've fallen short, and he says, I love you. You know, when he was on earth, he would eat meals with people that didn't go to the temple, non-religious people, scoundrels, scum. <laughs> And he got a reputation for doing that. This was his reputation in Luke chapter 7. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, having meals, throwing parties, drinking wine. If some of you saw Jesus drinking wine, you would have a fit. And they say, look at him, this glutton, this drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's who he ran with. Why? Well, his, his critics spoke up one time in chapter 5 of, of the same book. And they said, Jesus, why do you eat with these people, the scum, these non-Torah obeying, temple-going people? Why do you do that? Like, don't you understand that you're a religious dude, you're a rabbi, and, and, and religious people don't mix with sinners and, and, and people like that? Like, come on, you're breaking all kinds of rules here. Jesus said, and he answered, watch this, those who are well, those who, those who think they're well, don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. Why did he hang out with sinners? There's only one reason, because he loved them, and he loves you, and that's why he came. Now, when we talk about love, we got to be really clear here. Love is not a feeling. It can be a feeling. Love is not romance. It can be romance. But if you have children, you know that love is not a feeling. <laughs> yes, mom? 
Dad, love is not a feeling. Love is doing what is best for somebody. And as a parent, you do things for your children that they don't like, that they don't want you to do, but you do them because you love them. Now, grandparents, they've lost their minds (laughs) on this issue. You can't trust them. You got to put a video camera up when they babysit because there's Doritos and soda everywhere. You know, like my mom, like my mom, she'll just feed them Doritos and soda for like, like where, I was like, mom, where's your head? Like, what are you thinking? Where was this when I was a kid? <laughs> Lost their minds. But as parents, we know that love is doing what is right for somebody. And so we look into the Bible, we see that God loved us by doing what was best for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, this is what we read. But God shows his, say it with me, his what? His love for us, that while we have turned our back on him, said, no, I'm not going to follow your ways, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He did what was best for us. Does he have fond feelings for us? I'm sure he does, but that's not what love is. Entirely, biblically, it's doing what is best for someone, what someone needs, what a sick person needs is a doctor, and the doctor does what is best for the patient. What are we talking about when we talk about love? We're talking about the treasure of Christ, and he brings it, and he says, I don't care what you've done, I don't care where you've been, I don't care how far you've gone, how much sin you've committed, I don't care, my position towards you is love, and here's how I proved it, I died on the cross for you. So you can have redemption and forgiveness and be shown mercy and have your sins forgiven. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Love, joy, peace, power. Some of you have heard this person's story before, but I think it's always good for you to hear a story because it's better than anything I can say when you actually see someone stumble into the kingdom and start to taste some of what I'm talking about today. Her name is Alexis, and I want you to pay attention closely to some of the things she says because she literally stumbled into the kingdom. Check it out. I grew up in church. I went to church every Sunday. We went to Bible school two, three times a week. We had a church bus that would come pick us up, just us kids, and take us to church and bring us back home. So it was a cool deal. My parents didn't go. They kind of shuttled us off for a break. Um, And we said grace before we ate. We said prayers before bedtime. We would sometimes talk about Jesus, but we didn't live it. There was lies and sneaking and cheating and abuse and, and chaos. So we had all the makings of being a Christian, but we weren't Christians. We were pretending and that caused me to say to myself, if this is what being a Christian is about, I don't want any part of it. Because that wasn't what I thought it should be. And I went on my own journey to, I guess, find myself or, or you know, find whatever. And all it did was make it worse. One night, to work and through the course of being at work you know you become friends with people you go out with them we went out this particular night and uh, I drank not any more than I normally did Um, maybe even less 
but it just affected me completely different. It, I guess, it was supposed to happen that way. I wound up wrecking my car and getting arrested. I woke up or came to in jail on the floor. And I remember the very first thing that I thought was, oh God, please don't let me hurt anybody. And I'm, I have a home, I have a husband, I have children, I have a good job. I couldn't ask for anything else, you know, at the time. And I just realized in that moment, what am I doing? I have so much more than most of these people in here, and I've just probably ruined it all. For what? For one night. One night of erasing the past. And that was all it was, one night, because it's still there. It's still there when you come to. fact that I was led to church for community service, I was kind of standoffish. Uh, Pam opened the door, you know, and, and opened her heart. And it changed my perspective on, on just people in general. And she told me that I needed to listen to the Soul Keeping series, that, you know, it was a powerful message. And, and if nothing else, just, just listen to it. And I did. And at the end, Danny does a uh, call, basically do a prayer asking the Lord into your heart. And I was already bawling, you know, in tears, struggling to just drive. And it, it literally full body shiver, I, I wanted to do it. And I wound up pulling over on the side of the road, the interstate at 1230 in the morning in the pouring down rain, turned the radio up so I could hear his prayer, got out on my knees and, and prayed the prayer. And it was instantaneously amazing. And it was just from one extreme to the other in a matter of moments. One night, one choice. Only this time it was a good one. And it changed everything. My life was chaos. And bringing Jesus into my life took me from chaos to calm. And that was the only, that was the only thing that could do it. No drugs, no alcohol, no parties, no friends, no music. Nothing can fill that void can erase that rage, can give you that calm, but Jesus. And I want more of that. That's it. You were created to live in the kingdom of God. That's why God made you. Jesus came to make that available to you, to experience the love, to experience the joy, to experience the peace and the power of God. Your soul was made to dwell 
in the kingdom of God. This is the physical realm is not eternal. The spiritual realm is, and your soul is spiritual. And it will live forever in the kingdom. Why not start now? Why not begin that journey right now? You can if you want. You can do what Alexis did. You can enter the kingdom right now. You say, how do I do that? Jesus called it faith. And he didn't say it, was a, he didn't say it takes a lot. He just said faith as small as a, as a mustard seed. That's all it takes. Faith of a child. That's all it takes, he said one time. You need to put your trust in Jesus as the Messiah, as the King as the one who went to the cross for you, as the one who died in your place to cancel the penalty of sin and death and shame and guilt and all that stuff. He conquered it. So if you'd like to do that right now, I'm going to just lead you in a simple prayer. You can close your eyes, you can bow your head and just enter into the kingdom right now with the the little faith that you have. I'll pray a simple prayer. You can grab my words and you can take them, make them your own and speak them to God right now. In this moment that is designed for you, say this, dear Jesus, I come to you with my life with a little bit of faith. I put my confidence and trust in you. I believe you are the Lord you are the king you died in my place you took the penalty of my sin but you not only died Jesus I believe you rose again so that I could have life so I could be forgiven so could I, I could experience your grace your love joy and peace Make me your child right now as I put my life in your hands. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just entered into the kingdom, and that's important phraseology, what I just said, if you just stepped into the kingdom that has been made available to you, we would like to put a one-year Bible in your hands, a New Testament. And uh, there's tables back here to my left and to my right if you pray to receive Christ today. You can uh, grab one of those. And what happens is as you read this, you begin to learn the ways of the kingdom, the values of the king, the will of the king, because he's now your Lord and you follow him. And that's what it means to be a disciple, to follow the Messiah and become like him. Can we give God a hand for what he's done today? You know, today we we launched a four-week series. If you could hang with me just for about one more minute, we'll get you out of here. We launched a four-week series. And really what this series is going to be about is what God is doing in the world and what he wants to do through our church. And the reason why we exist as an organization. Why do we exist? Why are we a church? Everything we said today is the reason why we we are a church reaching people like Alexis so she could experience forgiveness and joy and peace and power. That's why we exist. And that's why we're a multi-site church. That's why we would launch campuses. Back in 2013, we launched a $4 million building at Banta and Harding. Why would we do that? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of effort. 
Is it because we like buildings? We like to build things? Does Emmanuel like to build things, yes or no? No. I don't even like to pick up a hammer in my own house. I hate that stuff. For I wish we didn't have to build buildings. The only reason we would build a building is so we can have an environment like this so that the message could go out to as many people as possible. That is it. If we could do it under a tent, we'd do it in a tent. Now, we got one going on in Franklin right now in our middle school, and we said it was going to be temporary, and the people who set up and tear down every day are hoping and praying it's going to be temporary. And it is temporary. We found a piece of property in Franklin, 14 acres by Hillview Golf Course. It looks like it's all going to work out. It's in the final phases of the zoning period. We're going to build a permanent site there. And so what we need to do, not because we like to build buildings, we don't. We don't. It's a headache. It's a headache. We're going to build a permanent site there in, in the next year. And so for the next year, we need to raise as a congregation $2 million to do that. You say, that's a lot of money. Well, perhaps. But we have about 4,100 active families in this church. When I say active, I mean people who actually show up, <laughs> okay? 4,100 active families. If each one of those families gave $481 over the next 12 months, above and beyond what you already give, that's important to note, that's the $2 million right there. You can do the math yourself, 4,100 families times $481, some of you are doing it, it's $2 million. You know what that amounts to on a weekly basis? less than $10 a week per family. So yeah, it's a lot of money. But you know what? We can do it like that in 12 months. Now, why would we do that? Why would we, why would we? Again, because we want people to enter into the kingdom. So here's the deal. Years gone by, some of you have been here for years, and you gave to this facility. And some of you didn't give to this facility. There's some people sitting at Banta. They didn't give financially to the Banta building, but they get to experience the benefits of it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do for others what somebody has already done for you. This facility has been here since 1989. Many of you had nothing to do with it. How about you now jump in so that other people in Franklin can have an experience like this there? Is that fair? Yes? So that's where we're going to be headed over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about that helping as many people as possible enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we're here because of you. We have a vision, a multi-site vision, to create as many environments like this one where people can hear the message of the kingdom, where they can have an opportunity to step into it by faith and begin experiencing your power and your peace and your joy and your love and everything that you brought to this earth. Help us to be generous and over the next year, help your people to give with generous hearts. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Next week, number two of Unsearchable, bring a friend. We'll see you next week.